Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Just a couple of quick things before we get into this message. Um, last week, we recommended this book, The Principle of the Path, and we had it at our resource uh, center over in the cafe, and we sold out. <clears throat> so if you came looking for that, we, re- we reordered some more. A book I highly recommend, especially it's, it's one of those really good books for the beginning of a new year. So we have more copies of them. There are available over in the cafe in the resource center. The other thing I was going to do is ask, how are you doing in your 40-day Bible reading? Yeah? You still with it? Good? Good? Okay, if you haven't, it's not, you weren't all clapping there. I just noticed that. Um, if you haven't, it's not too late to get in on it. If you stop by our help desk, um, we've got those bookmarks. You can still start, um, and, and your 40 days will be different than anybody else's, but that's okay. The important thing is to establish that pattern, okay? That's the really, really important thing. So um, <clears throat> I want to start this morning with a question. Have you ever felt just a little bit guilty um, because of how much you have? I mean, do you ever, like... You know, you see pictures of people in third world countries, or you see how other people live, or even maybe in our own country, you drive through certain neighborhoods and you see people who are hurting and and whatnot. Do you ever feel just a little bit guilty that you have when others don't? The other side of that is, do you ever feel a little bit greedy? Do you ever feel like, boy, I wish I had one of those? You know, your neighbor gets, well, oh, man, I really want one of those. Or, boy, I wish I had more money. Or, you know, you ever, you ever felt this kind of this tug of war inside all of us? On one hand, we know that we have so much and we live so much better than most people in this world. And, and so we feel maybe a little bit guilty from that sometimes. And, and, but there's also this point of part of us that drags us to want more. And, and I never experienced this so strongly as I did the very first time I came back from a mission trip to Uganda. And, and it was just, we came back the day before Thanksgiving. I've told this story before. But you get up, you know, Thanksgiving morning and all the Christmas ads are in there. And I just remember going through all those ads thinking, I don't need this, I don't need this, I don't need this. And yet, on the other hand, there was something deep inside of me going, oh, but it would be nice, <laughs> you know. <laughs> There's this tug of war that we, we deal with. Um, this whole series we started January uh, we're called getting a grip, and it's getting a handle on those things that are, that are really essential for our lives. And uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about one of those. Um, it's probably the one that we have the hardest time getting a grip on or getting the right grip on. Um, it's probably the hardest thing that we have to let go of. Um, it's, it's, if you want to say it's a tug of war between me and God, it's probably the thing that he tugs on the most and the hardest thing for me to you know, go with him on. Anybody want to guess what that is? Money, absolutely. Now, I find myself sometimes in this tug of war with God. What I always find is he never drags me across that line. He never pulls me through that mud puddle. He never, ins- he never, just, he never just drags me, although he could. He could. But he doesn't do that with me. Um, in fact, what I often find is sometimes he just lets go of his end of the rope. <laughs> you know how that happens when that happens when you're playing tug of war and you fall flat on your face and you go oh yeah that's right mostly what I find is he's not pulling me through the mud puddle and he's not just letting go completely what I find more often than not is little tugs little tugs a reminder and it really has to do with something I think that's very close to our hearts it's our money it's our stuff it's our resources we started this series and it's all based on Moses' prayer recorded in Psalm 90. We said, Lord, teach us to number our days 
so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to see our lives in the grander picture. Teach us to make our lives count, that we only have these 60, 70, 80, however many years we get. But, But life is more than that. Help us to see this life here and now in the context of your bigger picture. And and in in result of that, what happens is we talked about, you start making different types of choices and decisions. Um, You start filling your life with the things that matter most and you realize some stuff doesn't matter. And this morning, what we're going to talk about, like I said, is probably one of the hardest ones. And, and by the way, let me start with, if you're not a Christ follower, this is probably going to feel like really weird to you, or you're going to think, what in the world is he talking about, okay? Because you just don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to you. But if you're a Christ follower, this is absolutely essential. What we're going to talk about this morning will change your life if you accept it and buy into it. Because here's the thing. You cannot be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ and hold back your wallet. That's, that's a half-hearted follower. <laughs> you may be, even be a three-quarters or a seven-eighths follower. But as long as you're holding on to the wallet, you're not a wholehearted follower. Paul wrote about it to um, Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor, uh, kind of a protege of Paul's, and he was mentoring him. And he was pastoring a young guy, pastoring a young church, and he wrote these words to them. 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you want to follow along, um, it's one of his letters. 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verse 17, we're just going to look at three verses. And we hardly ever do this, okay? But we're just going to concentrate three verses this morning. Here's what he said. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. We're going to talk about this morning is that tug of war on our wallets. And there's some key, key principles um, that, that Paul outlines for Timothy. And he says, make sure you tell people these things. Command them these things. So here's the first thing he says. He says, don't trust in your riches, but trust in the one who richly provides. Now, I know I probably lost most of you right here. Because if I, if I asked you this morning um, by a show of hands, who here is rich? I bet none of us would raise our hands. Because none of us feel rich. We're not rich. We're getting by, you know, but we're not rich. And so you're probably starting to think, okay, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not rich. So, you know, what do I have to do with this sermon? Let me tell you. I thought about it this week. I thought, okay, how can I tell if I'm really, really rich? And, and I came up with some of these. So, um, um, Jeff Foxworthy does this thing. You might be a redneck, okay? Okay, so here, here's your, we're going to do this, okay? You're going to follow along. And, and the, your line is, you might be rich, okay? So here we're going to go through a few of them. If you had a choice of clothes to wear this morning, if you had a choice of what you ate for breakfast, if you got to church this morning in a car, If you had a choice of cars to drive here this morning. If you're going to go home this afternoon and watch the Super Bowl on your brand new 62-inch plasma screen TV. 
If you're going to go home today and watch a Super Bowl on your little 12-inch black and white, you might be rich. If you took a shower this morning with perfectly good drinking water, you might be rich. If you took a hot shower with that drinking water, if you took a shower, you might be rich. If you get a a few weeks off each year that you don't have to work and you get paid for it, you might be rich. If you have an extra bedroom in your house, you might be rich. If you have a house, you might be rich. If your car has a house, you might be rich. And if there's no room in the car's house because it's filled with other stuff, you might be rich. Now, let me ask you this morning, how many are rich? Yeah. See, he's talking to us. He's talking to you and me. Because here, let me give you a definition of rich. If you have any bit more than you need, you're rich. If you have any bit of extra above what is necessary for your life and well-being, you're rich. See, Paul's saying, tell people to understand this. Because if you don't understand that you are rich, you will never get the rest of this. So you got to understand, this is speaking to us. This is really to us. Realize how rich you are. Now, here's what he says. There's two warnings that come with this. He says, tell those who are rich these things. He says, first of all, he says, tell them not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. He says, there are two real, real tendencies that we have when we are rich. Okay? One of them is, we tend to, de- to get or find or define our sense of self by our net worth. That if we are rich, somehow we identify ourselves that this becomes who we are. And, and, and that that's natural. It's a natural human tendency. That, and we, it happens all the time. If you have a great performance at work, you get a bonus. How do you get rewarded for doing good? You get more money. If you're really successful at your job, you probably get a raise. Because that's how it is. And the better that you are, the more money you make. The nicer office you get or whatever it is. Okay? So what he's saying is be careful not to get your sense of self from what you have or what you earn. And that's a natural tendency. So he says be careful about this. You start defining yourself by, by what you have or how much you make. And what starts to happen is you start thinking that you are just a little bit better than anybody else. Now, you don't think this out loud, but you drive through some neighborhoods and you see some people's lives and you kind of think to yourself, I'm better than that. You start to think that you are more competent as a person if you have more. You tend to think that you are smarter than people who have less than you. Now, I can prove that one wrong right here and right now. Because if you make the kind of money that you make, and you are feeling financial stress right now, you're not as smart as you think. Because most people in the world would look and see how much you make, how much you have, and they would say, and you have financial troubles? How can that be? If I made half of what you, if I had half of what you have, 
See, it's not that we're smarter. Don't get your sense of self-worth by how much you have or how much you make. The other thing he says is be careful not to get your sense of security out of this. See, there's a tendency to think the more that I have, the more secure I will be. But he says, no, put your hope and your trust where it really belongs. When, when, a number of years ago, about 15, 20 years ago, um, I opened a, an IRA. You know, started planning and saving for my retirement and add a little bit each month automatically out of my paycheck. It goes right into my IRA, you know. And, 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 and the IRA was growing and, you know, it would get bigger. And then, of course, the interest on more money is more money. And so, you know, I started watching it grow. And I mean, every month I would get the statements of, the, of where my IRA was, you know. And every month I would get, oh, wow, oh, wow. And then I started figuring out, wow, man, if I, at this rate, by the time I retire, man, I, I think I'm going to be okay. And then about two years ago, Everything changed. And you know what I found? I wasn't even interested in looking at that statement. I don't want to know. <laughs> I just don't want to know. That's what he says. Don't put your hope and trust there because that's really uncertain. And if you haven't learned that in the last two years, boy, I don't know what's going to take. He says, don't get your sense of self from this. Don't get your sense of security from this. Put your hope and your trust where it really belongs. Not in the gift, but in the giver. See, that's what he says. He says, put their hope, teach them to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for, finish the sentence, our enjoyment. Now, one of the mistakes we make is if I yield this part of my life up to God, then I'm not going to have any fun any, ever again. You know, if I turn over this aspect of my life to God, then I'm not going to be able to enjoy my money at all. And that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is God is richly provided. And yes, enjoy it. But don't make it your sense of self-worth and don't make it your sense of security because it will not give you the security that you are looking for. It can't possibly do that. In fact, let me ask you this. When are you more likely to trust God? When you have a lot or when you have a little? Little. Because the more that we have, there's, there's a shuttle shift of our weight and our trust to what we have. We don't even notice it. It's again, it's one of those subtle things. That's why Paul tells Timothy, warn people about this because the more that I have, the more my weight shifts from trust in God to trust in what I have. I don't call on him as much. I don't ask him as much. I don't come to him as much. So this is really, really important. That God has provided. But don't put your trust in the gift. Put it in the giver who richly gives for our enjoyment. He allows that. He says, make sure. Don't trust your riches. Trust the one who richly provides. Second principle is, use that extra that you have for the good of others. Now, we talked about this already. You have extra. You have extra. So use the extra you have for the good of others. He goes on in verse 18. Command them to do good. Now, here's the thing with being rich. You have options. If you're rich, you have options. If you're not rich, you don't get a choice of menu. (laughs) If you're not rich, you don't get much of a choice of clothing. In fact, the more you have, the more options that you have. You get it? 
And, and the problem is, here's the need level, okay? And, and here's the want level. <laughs> and there's this margin. There's this space between them. And, and that's the extra space, okay? That's what God has richly provided you. Now, the thing is, we fill up that space with stuff that we think are needs. And then we don't have extra anymore. See how that works? We have more than we need. In fact, we, give, we have a lot more than we need. But the trouble is we keep filling up that empty space with our own stuff. The richer you are, the more options you have with your money and with your time. You say, well, wait a minute. Man, if I had some free time, man, that would be great. Listen, it's the same principle. If you get two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, however many weeks vacation, and you get paid to do nothing, you have extra. (laughs) Most of us in this room get at least two days off a week. That's extra. Most of the world does not know that. They have no concept of a day off. He says, the problem is, there's this difference between what you need and what you want, and you keep filling up that space between with all the want stuff. And so he says, here's the thing. Command them not, not just don't put trust in the riches, put it in the one who richly provides, but now teach them also to take the extra and use it to do good. Specifically, he says this. Be rich in good deeds. See, we have, as rich people, options with our time. We have that option. And and you don't have to use all of it. He says, just teach them to use some of it to do good. Take some of that time. Four hours a month, a morning, one Saturday morning, whatever it is. And and, and make time to do good. You've got the time. Now, make the time to do good with it. That's what he's saying. Be rich in good deeds and be generous, willing to share. He says the same thing with your money. He says, teach them. Teach them that this this space in between, all these options that you have in between, take some of that and do good. Take some of that and use it for other people's benefit. Now, this is something you have to pre-decide. This doesn't happen automatically. You have to determine to do this up front. And you say, well, Ben, I don't even have any free time to be able to plan. Yes, you do. We we do this all the time. When you are thinking about buying a new car, you figure out, can I afford it? You figure out what the monthly payments might be and, and whether you can make those payments. You figure out a way to buy the car. When you are planning a vacation... And you set aside the time and you start planning the vacation. What you are doing is you are predetermining the use of their time. So all he is saying here is carve out a portion of that and use it to do good and to be generous. Because you got all this extra. And you don't have to give it all away necessarily. But he says, do good with some of it. And I know some people say, well, you know, I can't afford to give my money. So I'll give my time. It's not an either or. He says, to do good and to be generous, willing to share. It's a both and. And he says, you've got to pre-decide to do this. Because if you wait till the very end, 
There's nothing extra left because you've used it all. So you've got to pre-decide this. You've got to determine this ahead of time. That you're going to carve out this time. You're going to carve out this portion of your income. You're going to decide ahead of time. Because if you don't, it all gets filled up with extra. And then what's left, maybe you do good with. Maybe you give back to God. Now, when you have company, you don't serve them the leftovers. Leftovers are for family. You make the big dinner. And the leftovers are for you. He's saying, this is a very important principle because if you don't do this, if you don't do this, you're going to miss out on God's plan for your life. So here's what I'm going to do. A couple weeks ago, I gave you a 40-day challenge. Read your Bible every day. We gave you an outline on how to do it. You can read your Bible every day for the next 40 days. Just establish and make that decision, predetermine, and set it up and stay consistent at it because that consistency will build into your life something even better. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you another challenge. Not 40 days. I'll give you 90 days on this one. But here's, what I'm going to, here's my challenge to you. Whatever you have out of that extra, carve out a percentage. Not an amount, a percentage. Okay? And it could be 10%. It could be 1%. If you think the only amount I have left to carve out is a half a percent, whatever it is, for the next 90 days... With every bit that comes in, that percentage goes back out. Okay? This is my challenge to you. And see what God will do with it. We always think that if I give it, then I won't have it. In God's economy, it works differently. We're going to see that in just a minute. In God's economy, when you give it, it comes back. It may not come back in the way of finances, But it does come back because that's how God's economy works. So this is my challenge to you. Some of you, you are already tithing 10%. That is your regular tithe. You wouldn't miss a tithe. You have it automatically deducted from your bank account and deposited in ours. You know, we love that. We love you for that, okay? But, But that's, and that is an act of worship. That is predetermining. That's what worship is. I'm predetermined to set this amount aside for God. Now, if you're at 10%, bump it up. If you're not giving anything, Choose a percentage, not an amount, because a percentage will grow as the income grows. And it will keep you moving forward in this whole thing. So here's my challenge to you. In the next 90 days, carve out a percentage of your income and make sure it goes out and it's not spent on you. And I'll even go so far as to say this, because this really has very little to do with us and the church. It really has to do with your heart. So I'm going to even make you this deal. If you can find a better place to give it, if you can find a better ministry or something more that you would give it to, I'm going to even tell you, give it there. But give it. Give it. Because this is a principle. This is how God's economy works. And here's why. Here's why. And because this is the point. What you're learning to do is you are investing in eternity beginning here and now. This is how Paul sums this whole thing up. He says, in this way, in this way, now he's saying, everything that I've been talking about now, this whole idea of understanding that your security is not in the gift, it's in the giver, so put your trust in the giver who richly gives, and, 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 and take a percentage of that, use what you have, that extra, to do good. He's saying, now, knowing those two things, this is the pivotal phrase, in this way, this is what this has been leading up to, this is how it works, 
In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Huh? Uh, what, What is he talking about there? What he is saying is, there is an eternal impact of how you use your resources. How you manage your stuff how you deal with your income, how, what you do with your money has eternal implications. Don't ask me how to explain how all of that works, but I know it does. And what he's saying is, if you will do those things, what you are really doing is you are investing in eternity. When you use some of your resources to help the poor, you're investing eternity when you take some of what you have and you give it away you are investing in eternity and I would dare say we have a lot more than we need and the great thing is now we got like eBay and Craigslist (laughs) it's real easy to get rid of some of that stuff and then use that he said, because when you do that, what you are doing is you are investing in eternity. And what he's basing this on is, is the teachings of Jesus. Jesus told the parable, and we've talked about this one before, but let me just read it to you without comment. In Luke 12, Jesus said, a gra- The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. What am I going to do? I got more than I need. I got extra. I got extra. I don't even know, I don't even have a place to put the extra. So he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to myself, self, no, I didn't put that part in there. (laughs) And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And the answer to that question is the answer to that question for every one of us. The answer to the question is somebody else. (laughs) Who will get all that you stored up for yourself? Somebody else. Not because you are generous, but because you're dead. This is how it will be. And this is how Jesus ends it. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Now, that is the exact same wording that Paul uses with Timothy. Storing up for yourself. Now, why did God call him a fool? Because he was rich? No. God, in fact, had made him richer. God had blessed his crops. It wasn't because he was rich. Was it because he had extra? No. Was it even that he stored away for the future? No, that wasn't foolish. What was foolish, Jesus says, is to think that all of this stuff is just for now. It's not. It's for eternity. And what he he was foolish was, he was thinking that because he had a retirement plan, he was going to get a retirement. (laughs) And the foolishness of our thinking is, Because I have it, and I need it, 
that if I get enough of it, I will be secure. And Paul says, no, that's why you got to command people these things. They got to learn the difference that what you do with your resources here and now impact eternity. Why he was foolish was that he thought this life was all that there is to this life. And it's not. And so what Jesus said, and the same thing that Paul said is, so they will lay up treasure for themselves for the coming age. That there is more to this life than life, than this life. And when you begin to see this life from that eternal perspective, you begin to manage your money differently. You begin to take a little more seriously what you do with it. Not that you don't get to enjoy any of it. He says he gives it to us richly to enjoy. But he says also with the enjoyment comes the responsibility. Have you ever wondered to yourself, why is it that I was so lucky to be born in the United States? Have you ever asked yourself that question? How come? How come other people in other countries live in such a low quality of life? Why am I so blessed? Why am I so... Why am I given this chance when so many others don't? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why was I born in this country with these opportunities? Paul says, this is why. This is why. This is why you were born here and now in this this city, this community, this country with all the options that you have, he says, the reason you were given that is so that you would do good in good deeds and in generosity. The reason you were born in this country, the reason you have what you have is because God has provided it for you to do good with it. And that's the whole point. He says, this is what it's all about. And and what it's really all about is the change of heart. Because he goes on. He says, look at this. He says, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If we think that this life is all that there is to this life, then we haven't taken hold of life. He says, in this way, by realizing where your hope and your trust is, by using the extra that you have to do good, in this way, you will begin to take hold of life that is really life. Because what you find is, when you start investing in eternity, it teaches you to, to hold what you have loosely here and now. And when you use what you have here and now to do good, it changes your heart. When you learn to hold loosely, it really changes your heart. And the most generous people that I know The most generous giving people that I know are not necessarily people that have a lot, but they have learned this principle. And they use what they have to do good. And they take what they've been given and give generously back. And that's what changes your heart. And that's why Paul talks about this. And that's why Jesus talked so much about it. Why do we get so offended when we talk about money in church? Because it's close to our heart. (laughs) And why people don't like us to talk about this stuff. But it's a part of discipleship. 
And like I said at the beginning, you cannot be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ and hold on to this part of your life and say, I'm a wholehearted follower. You aren't. So be honest with yourself. He says, there is a way to invest in eternity. There is a way to lay up treasure for yourself. And this isn't buying your way into heaven. This is just determining what your life will look like in the next one. It has to do with generosity and doing good works. Does that make sense? It really does. Do you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California. Oh, 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 oh,